Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today we have on former pro basketball player who played for the Denver Nuggets, the great Boston Celtics, who also has an ESPN 30 for 30 special on him called Unguarded, a man who has battled addiction throughout his career and will be coming up on 14 years sober as of August 1st, 2022. This man is now helping millions of others with addiction abuse and is now a motivational speaker. Chris Heron, how are you? I'm good, brother. I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time with me. Uh, so Chris was a standout All-American McDonald's basketball player in high school from Fall River, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Let's. Uh, your story is very well documented. If you haven't checked out his 30 for 30, definitely go check it out. But can we just dive right into the beginning of like how you got into drugs in high school? Mm. Um. Listen, I think it's it, my, my, the progression was pretty, pretty innocent. Um, you know, it was kind of the culture to, to go out and drink on weekends. Um, you know, then, you know, you get to like 12, 13, 14 and, and maybe sprinkle in a little bit of marijuana in that, in that party. Um, and, you know, People observing me in high school, they probably wouldn't say that out of all my friends, I was going to be one of them that really struggles. Um, but I also had the genetic component chasing me down. I had um, a little family trauma chasing me down uh, and then sprinkle in, you know, a high level athlete at a very young age being recruited by many. Um, processing that was not something that I had any understanding of. Um, so really it was kind of the perfect storm in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the scariest thing about drug addiction is nobody knows who has it, you know, um, you know, at at 12, 13, 14, 18, you have no idea you're the one that's gonna, that's gonna struggle with it. So, um, but the drink, it all started with, with drinking my father's beer and smoking, you know, older kids' marijuana. Yeah, right. What type of person were you in high school? So with, like, being a, a big star athlete, just partying on the weekends, you think you were untouchable back then? No, I never I never thought I was untouchable. I, I was probably very insecure, you know, very always, always conscious of who I was with, where I was at, how I was being perceived. Um. You know, my circle was very small. I kept my circle pretty small. Um, and, and that being said, I also just wanted to hang out with the kids that did what I did. I didn't want to I didn't want to hang out with a kid who was completely focused on, you know, on, you know, what he was trying to achieve because I was the furthest thing from that. Right. Um, but I think insecurity probably drove a lot of me back then. I think it probably dictated a lot of my personality back then. Now, I feel like a lot of addicts are really good liars and keeping it off. So that's probably like a big thing. It's like you play better defense with saying, like, I'm, I'm fine. So like no one had any idea back then, really, except for your close circle. No, I, I mean, listen, I, I, think, I think at 18 years old when I went to BC and, and 
I realized as a scholarship athlete, I was going to be held to a standard in compliance with NCAA where I could not fail drug test. Um, and I realized pretty quickly at 18 years old how much I had leaned into that stuff, you know, or leaned on, um, you know, how much of a coping uh, mechanism it, it was for me and, and where I was getting relief from at the time. So once that was pulled away from me at 18 years old, obviously, you know, failing three drug tests at BC in the first four months, you know, caused me to be suspended a year and basically expelled from Boston College. You got to know at that age right there that, you know, drugs are a little more than than what you want to say. And that was just the tip of the iceberg for you because you broke your wrist as well at BC, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I broke my wrist in my first game, which wasn't. I don't know if it would have changed anything. You know, I, I really don't. I don't, I don't. I don't think it would have. I was partying hard, you know, even when I was getting ready to hoop. Um, preseason, I was still, you know, doing blow and, and smoking. And right. I really didn't care. Um, so I, I think a broken wrist, uh, if anything, it, it just kind of sidelined me and let me kind of self-implode on my own rather than in front of, you know, 15,000 people. How did you fail so many drug tests? Like when you took one, were you just like, yep, uh, this isn't going to go well, but I kept repeating. Like, you just not care. You just like, I oh, will roll the dice on this one. No, you care. You care, but you try to manage it, right? It's like, you know, you try to chase. It's always the chase. It's like, okay, I can smoke today because I'm not going to get tested for three, four more weeks and it will be out of my system then. And I'll drink tea and I'll, you know, flush my system with water and right. I'll do everything that they tell you to do except it never works. You know, they don't tell you, they don't tell you it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I, always, I always have friends with that. They're like, oh, drink cranberry juice and pickle juice and you just drink it yeah, all these yeah, different cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work. None of it works. So, um, you know, I never, listen, I never wanted to or, or, or planned on, you know, failing drug tests. I always, I just, I didn't know how to go through life on life's terms without it. So then after this with BC, you're suspended by them, not the NCAA. And then you get a call to go out to Fresno state, kind of a second chance. And they took a gamble on you. Um, yeah. But you also said you had a tight circle in fall river. You also had people from fall river come out who like people that you would party with. Correct. Mm -hmm. And I feel like yeah. when you take when you take people out of Massachusetts in different states, they they turn it up just a little bit a notch because like oh you're yeah. from Massachusetts and they rip it. Uh, that was, that must have been difficult because you were absolutely killing it at Fresno State and you're still battling this. So yeah, I was. I mean, like my sophomore year was probably my best year. Um, you know, I think if you look back and see pictures, um, you know, just me on the basketball court sophomore year as opposed to senior year. You know, sophomore year, I look like an athlete. You know, I'm, I'm obviously very engaged in, in, in myself and my physical status. So I was constantly in the gym, constantly working. And then slowly, you know, my addiction started kind of creeping back in. And, you know, before you knew it, you know, it was, it was an every weekend thing. And having people from home, um, you know, they didn't have jobs. They just woke up, woke up late and, and partied early, you know? Looking back at photos at you, you were very a nineties basketball player with the blonde tips. And then you got the blonder hair like that. Nothing says nineties, like your look uh, yeah. back at Fresno state. 
but, 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 but see, here's the deal, right? Like, try to find people who did it before me. That, that, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. You were, you were a little bit before the times. And I like yeah. that. Was that just your idea? You're like, no, I'm going blonde. No, nah, I, I, I hung out with these Mexicans, right? That, that we did a ton of blow in a barbershop. Um, and he was, you know, we were all whacked out and he was like, Hey, why don't you just like, let's try to put some tips in your hair. And then it was like, let's shave it and dye it platinum. Um, so yeah, you're not gonna, I, I don't think you can find And I say this all the time, like try to find a, a college basketball player or college athlete in the nineties before me who had it. Uh, you're not going to see, you're not going to find that person. Yeah. That's a great distinction. I, I, I like that a lot. Um, yeah. So you're Fresno State, you go senior year, you get drafted by the Denver Nuggets, but you were still falling on hard times. So you definitely probably slipped in the draft a little bit. You would agree, right? Yeah. I mean, I I just had been in so much trouble, like treatment centers and failed drug tests. And, you know, it was just, it was very public. And if it wasn't for Dan Issel, you know, um, Dan Issel had just an unbelievable heart. He was the general manager of the Denver Nuggets. He then became the head coach and replaced Mike D'Antoni. Um, but, you know, he just had such a soft spot for guys like me. And, and, you know, he, I flew out there, I did my workout and, you know, he said, if you're at number 33, I'm going to grab you. And he, he held true to his word. And, you know, I, you know, looking back, I don't know who would have, who would have taken the chance on me after 33, you know, I, there's a chance I would have slipped right out of it. You, you've given a lot of chances for yourself. Did you ever feel like like you were letting people down? You probably were letting people down, but you're like, all right, I'm going to fix it this time. So you go to Denver and away from everybody. Did you think you were going to fix everything, get, getting like way out of there? You just listen. I, I I think I think drug addiction is 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 completely it's completely different today, right? Like the way you look at it. Um, you know, when I was 23, 24 years old. Um, I didn't have the respect for what drug addiction was. I, I, I didn't know. I was uneducated, unaware. The conversation is different today about drug addiction and, and the science behind it. And, you know, so it was more of like a moral thing, you know, and an ethical thing for me. And, you know, I was always trying to chase that and try to prove people wrong. And, you know, um, you know, and drug addiction doesn't care about that. You know, it's, it's, it's constant, it's present. It needs to be treated. If it's left untreated, it will come back. Um, and, and that's, that's at that age, I was untreated. Yeah. That must be the most difficult part of just like trying to learn everything. And like drugs back then were like, not even like fully developed and they were just like yeah. trying them out and you you got your blonde hair, trying all these new drugs. You're like, Oh, I'm going to figure it out. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that, no, I mean, listen, it was, uh, you know, it's again, I, I for me, you know, guys learned really quickly that they didn't want to be around me, you know, because, um, you know, once I start, I don't want to stop. Yeah. And, you know, even when there's a game coming up and, and you know, you're, you, you're telling yourself, like, go home, get a few hours rest. Um, but instead, you decide to keep doing it. Um, you know, I was a sick kid. I was a, I was a sick kid at that age. When you got the news that you got traded to Boston, was it the first thought was, oh, my God, I'm playing for the Celtics? Or was it like, I'm going to be so much closer to my dealers that I can get drugs easier? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just I knew, you know, it's it's much more accessible 
for me. You know, I have so many people around me that, you know, would love to, to, to party and take part in it with me. Um, so getting traded to getting traded to Boston was not a happy day for me. I mean, I, I was devastated and, and not so much that I was going back to Boston and my drug addiction. I wasn't even really there. It was just the support I had and the people I was surrounded with in Denver that I was really going to miss. You know, I, that year was probably the best year I ever had playing basketball. And, you know, to walk away from that and, and, and have to start over, you know, for the Celtics was, was going to be a challenge. And, you know, not, not to mention everything else that came with it. Right. Now, do you, do you blame them at all? Like, I feel like you were very well known. Your whole story was well known in the Celtics. Like, yeah, we'll give it a chance. And you know how it is in Massachusetts. A local guy comes home, everyone's supporting him. So everyone's yeah. excited. Everyone wants to party. Be like, oh, I want to buy Chris Heron a drink. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. Um, so, you know, I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. I mean, listen, you know, coming up on 14 years sober, I'm very grateful. I'm grateful that it was Boston because Boston is such a big sports city and that it gave me this platform in recovery, right? It gave me like this opportunity. If I was a Sacramento King, you know, it, my platform wouldn't be as profound, right? Right. Being a Boston Celtic, being from Boston area, that gave me this, this, this background, that allowed me to have a platform to really talk about, you know, recovery and addiction and how impactful it's been. So I'm grateful for the Celtics. So your story continues. You go overseas, still doing drugs, getting into heroin, getting into more mm -hmm. pills. Now let's talk about support, support systems. Your wife, Heather, was there mm -hmm. the whole time. You're like selling money, like you're selling things for money, like little things mm -hmm. here and there. Like how much of a, like, like you look back, you're like, thank Christ for her. Cause if she wasn't in the picture, like who knows, it definitely would have gone south. Like support systems are a lot. And like how much that affected you from her? Yeah. I mean, listen, I know firsthand what it's like to be the person who loves someone who struggles with drugs and alcohol. You know what I mean? So it's not something that's foreign to me, right? I have family members, um, people who I really, really love that struggle. Um, so I know what it was like. I know what her lens looked like. Um, you know, I just thank God that she had the ability to wait, you know, wait, wait for me to find myself. I mean, I, I've known Heather since the seventh grade. She knew me long before drugs entered our worlds. Um, you know, and I just thank God she waited and, and she gave me that chance to be, you know, Christopher, Samantha and Drew's dad. You know, um, because, you know, most people would be watching their kids grow up, right. you know, instead I'm part of it. So you pretty much have a near death experience where you pretty much legally died for 30 seconds mm -hmm. in the, and uh, when you hit a pole and so you get recovered in 2008, correct? Yes. So mm -hmm. the one thing that I was trying to figure out is what made you want to become a motivational speaker? Like, obviously you want to help others once you get there and you're yeah. doing such a great job. What was that like? Like, what, what went in your head? You're like, I'm going to do it. Especially from a guy. Like, did you, did you go to, like, college for, like, public speaking or anything? Because no, no. But how'd you but, learn I that? Mean, I was, listen, I never, I never got my degree. You know, I wasn't, I didn't go to college for school, sadly, right? And you say that, it's, it's an embarrassing thing to say. Um, but I, uh, I never intended on being a public speaker. 
I mean, it was not even on my radar until this woman said, you know, I want you to come to my classroom and talk to my health classes. Um, and I went there and I spoke to all eight health classes and she gave me a ride. She picked me up because I didn't have a license at the time. She drove me back home, dropped me off, got me some Dunkin' Donuts. And that was my day. Um, but what happened was she had friends at another school and said, like, let's, let's try Chris Heron out. Let's bring him in. And, and then it just, you know, now here we are 12 years later and, you know, a couple of million kids in every state except Hawaii and Alaska. Um, you know, I have a, I have a, a schedule that, you know, is, uh, it makes the NBA schedule look soft, you know? So, right. You know, we do about 200 speaking events a year. So, you know, that's game time, right? I mean, I, I'm out there for, it's, it's an hour and a half window and, and I have an hour and a half to go. Right. And I appreciate you taking the time with me. I know we got to wrap up real soon. I just yeah, yeah. quick question for people out there with addiction. What would you suggest to them? The ones that feel pressured, like you, you said no, the first time you asked Coke. So someone's in that situation, what would you recommend them? So they get pressured and like, they're like, no, I'm good. Like how, how what's the best way to say no and get away from all that? You know, I mean, listen, for, it's, it's to not, the best way to do it is to not even put yourself in the situation. Right. But but the reality is in today's climate, right, it's we're living in a world where fentanyl and car fentanyl. I mean, it's just it's just executing people. And, you know, people that come into my wellness centers and they come in for cocaine use, um, you know, they'll have Adderall. I mean, they'll have uh, fentanyl in their system, you know, so you just never know what's in the line. So for me, for anybody who's you know, walking into a, a room or, a, or at a house party and people are chopping up Coke on the table, you know, they're taking a chance at dying. Yeah. You know, like they are right there. Just know that once you hand that dollar bill off, when you bend down to do that line, think of your mom, your dad, your little brother, your sister, and there's a chance that they'll never see you again. And that's how, that's how, how sick it is. You know, and and that's it's dangerous. Yeah. You know, never mind what comes with it. The chance that you might not wake up, you might you might have fentanyl in it and might die from it is to me is enough. Right. And um no, that's good advice because I always wondered that. It's like the whole dare system. It's like you gotta get out there and uh, yeah. not be in the not be in that room. So it's I mean, listen, it's like it's like someone handing you a revolver and say, Let's play Russian roulette. Right. You know, like, are you going to sit at the table and, and play Russian roulette? No, you're going to, you probably call the, call the ambulance for the person who's asking you to play. Seriously. Um, you know, cocaine, opiates and cocaine today are no different. Fentanyl wasn't in Coke in the eighties and the nineties, you know, fentanyl is in Coke today. Yeah. And, and Coke and fentanyl kills. I mean, and, and that's, that's the scary thing about it. But, um, you know, Hopefully, hopefully, you know, we can we can push the narrative that, you know, there is no more. I dare you. You know, it's not, you know, or you're not tough enough to get down and do this with me and, and, and party with me. I just don't feel like taking a chance at dying today. 
Do you still have idiots that still ask you if you want like a drink or? or no, anything? that's good. No, that's you better good. have big balls to ask me that question. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, yeah. So wrap up now. I, again, I can't thank you enough. And if anyone wants yeah. to learn more, go to herontalks.com. Before we go to wrap this up, I got to ask, how was it playing with Skip to my Lou Ray for Alston? Uh, I didn't like him. Really? Why? You know, it's just him and I wasn't on the same page. <laughs> Both guards, you know? Both guards, but it just wasn't my, you know, listen, I wasn't his style. And, and I can, I can look back, um, on that moment. Rafer was more engaged, more disciplined, yeah, um, more motivated than I was. Um, you know, his, his, his job was to be in the gym and he worked really, really, really hard at it. Um, so most likely it, it, it's it's my doing you know um but we just really weren't those type of guy i just he wasn't my type of guy you know so yeah and now b- before i forget this too marijuana is like a big thing that's helping people the whole cbd craze and stuff yeah yeah what, how do you feel about the whole that with addiction like is it a gateway drug like how do you feel about people that use marijuana and probably like quote unquote the right way yeah i mean listen there's people who can there's people who can't right there's people who can drink there's people who can't drink you know, it's just what are you willing to find out, right? Are you willing to yeah. to lose? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to miss out? Like the reality is, and I tell kids this all the time, and I and and you know the amount of speaking I do amongst athletes, right? Whether it's Alabama football, Georgia football, Oregon football, you name it, I'm I'm doing it. And there's a lot of kids in that locker room that look back on their childhood and wish their mom didn't smoke. You know, a lot of kids yeah. in that locker room who didn't get the presents they thought they were going to get because mom was buying a whole lot of blunts and smoking it. You know, so it's at what level are you willing, you know, to sacrifice? Um, you know, marijuana helps people, I guess. I don't know. Right. right. I'm not I'm not a doctor. I just know that for someone like me, one's not enough. You know, one is just never enough for me. And and. I've missed out on I've missed out enough on life. I don't want to miss anymore. I like that. I like that a lot. Now I do this with all my guests. We're gonna wrap up here. If Chris Heron had a theme song, like you got called out, what would be in the background? Like think of like if you're a professional wrestler, boxer, or just the starting five of the Celtics. What song's playing for you? You know, I mean, the only thing I can think of is is I go back to my high school days and um it was phil collins i can feel it you know like that was that was our little that's what we ran through the tunnel to um you know i'm a madman when i when it comes to sports right like i i you know i'm completely my mindset is different than most and you know to me it's like a war you know it's like a it's like a battle when you're coming out so music doesn't it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. I'm going to come at your neck regardless. <laughs> <laughs> With dead silence in the background. Yes. I yes, like yes. it. All right, Chris, what are three things that you're grateful for today? You know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my recovery, right? Like that's, that's the pillar, right? Those are the pillars of my, my recovery, family, faith, friends, all of that stuff. The people who hold me up. Right. And, and the people who are willing 
to challenge me to get better. Everyone loves a comeback story, Chris. I'm glad that you got sober. I'm glad that you recovered. I'm glad that suicide wasn't an option for you when that, when that mm -hmm. came across your mind. I'm, I'm loving what you're doing. You're a great human being, what you're doing, helping so many people. Never stop what you're doing. Hopefully we can cross paths at one time. But I thank you so much, Chris. This has been like an honor to talk with you. Such so, a local so, legend. So, but what's the belt for? Oh, this belt? Yeah. Why, you, you, you eyeing it? Yeah, I'm eyeing it. What is it for? Well, it's a wrestling belt, but I keep it up there because I'm trying to be the champion of this rock, paper, scissors thing that we did. I'm not uh, doing too good, but at least I got a win over you. It's like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. like that Nuggets team, like beating the Bulls back then, you know? Yeah. So listen, <laughs> so so why is that is that your thing, wrestling? Yeah, I'm a big wrestling fan. Yeah. Who who's your favorite wrestler? My favorite wrestler. It could be the Von Erichs. That's a great documentary too. On the uh, have yeah, you seen yeah. that documentary on Hulu? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah of that, course. That's the uh, Von Erichs. You know, when I was younger, growing up, the Von Erichs. Um, you know, uh, Junkyard Dog. Yep. You know, he was he was classic. Ivan Putski. Yep. Um, oh, you know your shit. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I like a Mister. I was a Mister Perfect. Ted DiBiase, Rick Rude. Like yeah, of course, yeah. Rick Rude, ravishing Rick. I mean, yeah. there's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he, he is a uh, ravishing Rick Root is is one of the best characters of all time. hundred percent. He's like, he called you Cincinnati sweat hogs. He's like, let me take my robe off. The guy yeah. was ahead of his time, dude. That's so yeah. funny. But yeah, if you want to come, like uh, I'm in Massachusetts too. We can throw this on the line for another rock paper. Yeah, 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 in the future. <laughs> well, listen, good talking to you, brother. podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.